You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Very, very good. So we'll get straight into it. Um, I'm carrying a word on my heart that I believe is a word from God for the church, capital C, global church, and uh, at any opportunity and, and whenever the, the privilege is, is afforded to me to, to preach, this is something I'm carrying. And so I'm excited. Uh, we see throughout, well, in, in Paul writing to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God would be complete and equipped for every good work. And so as we look at God's word this morning, my hope and my prayer for you as Melbourne Lights is that God would challenge you and us, that God would confront us, that God would encourage and that God would strengthen us as his people today. And so this morning, my plan is to highlight three cautions, three cautions that I can see from the book of Judges that will help us as God's people today. Three challenges or three, three cautions. And so if you are taking notes, the title of this morning's message is A Caution to the Christian. And so Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be with your people in Melbourne Lights. And I ask, even right now, just for increased anointing to unpack your word. And Lord, I ask for soft hearts with good soil to receive the seed, the word, and that it would be fruitful in Jesus' name. And we all said? Amen. Amen. So very quickly, I want to just begin in Genesis. I want to begin right at the start and just give a little bit of context on how we get to Judges and the Israelites as God's people. And so from, from Genesis, we see, not, not from Adam and Eve, but from Abraham, God wanted a family. And so he called Abraham to himself, and he, and he essentially said to Abraham that, that I want you to leave my country and with your family, go to a land that God would show him. The land that God promised to Abraham's offspring was the land of Canaan. In other words, what we often refer to as the promised land. And so Abraham took his family, obeyed God, and went to the land of Canaan. And, and, and God said that he would make a great nation from Abraham. And that this nation would, would be blessed and would be a blessing to the nations. And so Abraham had a son, and his name was Isaac. Isaac had a son, and his name was Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and his favorite son was named uh, Joseph. Now, because Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, the other brothers hated and despised Joseph. And so long story short, Joseph was sold into slavery and sent off to Egypt. But the favor and the blessing of God was all over Joseph, and Joseph went from being a slave to being the governor of Egypt in command of everything other than Pharaoh, the favor of God. And so Joseph did very, very well, and the story goes that there was a famine, a widespread famine throughout all the nations, and so Jacob, whose name became Israel, had to send his sons to Egypt to get food in this famine. And we see this beautiful restoration between Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, and, and there's this restoration between Joseph and his brothers. And so the brothers go back, and, and, and Jacob, or Israel, the father, the whole family, Israel's whole family, or Jacob's whole family, now goes and lives in Egypt. And we see in the book of Genesis that the Israelites, this now this nation that God has made, thrived in Egypt. They thrived. 
But Joseph then grew old and died. And Joseph's leadership was forgotten. The new Pharaoh was now threatened. He was threatened at looking at this powerful, flourishing people called Israel. He was threatened, and so the Israelites were made to be slaves in Egypt. Moses was then born to be the deliverer and the rescuer of the people of Israel. And so he delivers, or God through Moses delivers the people of Israel, and they go out into the wilderness, and, 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 and well, through the Red Sea, we see the past, we see all these incredible things, but eventually Moses does some, makes some silly decisions, and so he is not allowed to enter into the promised land. And so when he passes away, his assistant Joshua takes over leading the people of Israel. Joshua leads them across the Jordan River, through Jericho, when the walls come down, and into the land of Canaan, into the promised land. And so that's in a, as quick as I can. That is, uh, that is a little bit of the context of the narrative of Scripture. Now, while they were in the wilderness, God spoke clearly to Moses for the people of Israel. And he said to them in Exodus 19 that his specific plan and intention for his people would be that they would become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The, the, the Hebrew word for holy is kwadesh. It means to be sacred, set apart, and different from others. God wanted his people to be a kingdom of priests and to be holy, set apart, sacred, and different from the other nations. Why? Because God wanted his people to show the other nations who he was, what he was like, so that they would be blessed. From Abraham, that you would be blessed and be a blessing to the nations. Later on, and, and, and the scripture will come up now, so don't feel like you have to turn there, but later on God spoke again to the Israelites and he told them exactly what they needed to do when they entered into the promised land. And you'll see behind me Numbers chapter 33. We'll read just verse 51 and 52. God speaking, he says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. Why did God instruct the tribes of Israel to drive out the Canaanites? He wanted his people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, sacred, set apart, and different so that they could show these nations who God, in fact, and truly was so that they would be a blessing to those nations. The whole point of driving the Canaanites out was that the people of Israel would avoid their moral corruption and idolatry. So often, very, like so often, you know, people read the Old Testament like, oh, like what God would say that they'd have to drive and be at war. God is sovereign and he had a plan and intention. And through it, regardless of whether you agree with his methods, he's God, you're not, we're not. But it's through his plans. It's through driving them out that his people would in fact actually be a blessing to those people. And so the Israelites, they finally have entered the promised land, and these different tribes inherited different territories. 
And so they were allocated territories, they inherited these territories, but there was still a lot of land to be taken, and there was still, in fact, a lot of Canaanites living in the land. And so with all of that, my first caution this morning is called cultural compromise. Cultural compromise, that's the first caution. The whole second part of Judges chapter 1, if you read through it, is a consistent tale of partial victories. The tribes of Israel won their, victory, uh, won their territories, but instead of completely driving out the Canaanites, they, they, they got victory, they had kind of ownership of the land, but they allowed the Canaanites to settle alongside them. And he has two, two examples of two tribes out of the 12. Verse 21 of chapter 1. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Verse 29. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Israel partially obeyed God. But incomplete obedience is still disobedience to God. Incomplete obedience is still disobedience to God. And so God confronted the Israelites on their disobedience. Because God wanted his people to be a blessing to the nations. How? That they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation a nation that would be different and set apart so that they would truly show who God is to those around them. But we see in the story of Judges that the Israelites failed miserably. Judges chapter 2 from verse 11 says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Israel failed to completely drive out the Canaanites, and so they settled alongside them. But it doesn't stop at settling alongside. We then see not only did the Israelites settle alongside, but actually they became accustomed and familiar to the ways of the Canaanites. But it didn't stop at not just being alongside and being accustomed and familiar with. They actually then became attracted and enticed by the sinful pagan ways of their Canaanite neighbors. Not only were they alongside, not only were they Accustomed, not only were they attracted, but eventually it led to them adopting the sinful ways of their pagan neighbors. And ultimately, that led to them abandoning God. Can we see the, the progression of cultural compromise? It begins at being alongside, and then you become accustomed, and then you become attracted, and then you adopt, and then ultimately, you abandon God completely. And that's what we see from the story of the Israelites. There was cultural compromise. And instead of being a kingdom of priests, and instead of being a holy, set-apart, sacred, different nation to the nations around, you could not even tell the difference between the Israelites and the Canaanites. 
cultural compromise. And they abandoned God to serve the Baals. Baals were, were, were idol gods, um, particularly gods of fertility. And as God's people today, we are not necessarily surrounded by wooden statues and, 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 and carvings that we could necessarily bow down and worship to. But I want to remind us today in 2023, as God's people, as the church, we are still surrounded by cultural idols that have influence over us and that can influence us. And Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, this is how he describes or answers what an idol is. He says this, an idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. I'll say that again. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. And throughout the scriptures, he has two. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The scripture warns us as God's people. And I don't want to focus on idolatry. I want to focus on mission. Because as God's people... We have been called to mission, and just like God's assignment for the people of Israel would be, was to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, that assignment has now shifted to us as the church. As God's people, we are called to be on mission. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Idolatry will cause the mission to malfunction. As a church, we are holy priests in God's kingdom, showing the goodness of God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's 1 Peter 2.9. As the church, we are called to be the salt of the earth and the light to the world. Matthew 5. As the church, we are called to go into the world, to preach the gospel, to demonstrate the kingdom of God through signs, wonders, and miracles. Mark 16. As the church, we are called to make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey Christ. As a church, we are ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We are on a mission in this world to seek and to save the lost, to, 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 to establish and advance the kingdom of God. And you've probably heard this, but God wants us in this world and not of this world. We are on mission in this world, but we cannot live of this world. We cannot live like this world, or else people, the world will not know that there is a, they'll see the world and the church as, as this blurred thing, just like the Canaanites and the Israelites. So idolatry will cause the mission to malfunction. And this is why we must flee from idolatry. This is why we must. And I use that word as carefully but as seriously as I can. It's not a, it's not a maybe. It, we must. As God's people, we have to avoid idolatry because it's so easy to become accustomed to the ways of this world. 
But being accustomed and familiar leads to being enticed and attracted, which leads to God's people adopting the ways of this world and ultimately abandoning God. God doesn't abandon them, but they abandon God. And no doubt, even as you sit there, you can begin to think of people that are close to your heart that this is a reality for. And church, we have to hear the warning and the caution in God's word. Research, just very quickly, my next two points are way shorter, but research was conducted with 1,000 Protestant pastors in the U.S., so I disclaim this is in the U.S., but 1,000 pastors in September 2021 were asked the question, what are the modern-day cultural idols influencing the church? That was the question. These were the responses. There were eight. Comfort, control, money, approval, success, social influence, political power, and sex. Those are the eight. If I was one of those 1,000 pastors, my Submission would have been family. Now, I need to explain that because I see that I need to explain that. I've seen, not only in myself, but in the church, that as God's people, we can take what is good and godly, and if it's not according to His pattern and His will and His principles, can turn what is good and godly into something that's dangerous and sinful. And I think people have their family, spouse, kids, or lack thereof, can be the thing that absorbs our heart and imagination more than God, can be the thing that we go to and seek to, to fulfill or to meet need. And so hear my heart. I'm... And can I be bold enough to say that if any of these so-called modern-day cultural idols, let me put it like this. If you would say, Liam, I don't agree or I don't identify any of those things as idols, then as humbly as possible, I would suggest that you have been infiltrated and compromised by the culture around you. And so the question I ask myself and the question I ask us as God's people today is, is what idolatry have we become accustomed to or attracted to or adopted? Because again, as God's people, we are on a mission and idolatry will cause the mission to malfunction. And so the beautiful news of the gospel is that we can recognize these things, we can confess these things, we can repent of these things and we can release them right now. And we can walk into, our preferred, into the preferred future that God has for us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All. So thank you, Jesus, for that. The second caution I've, t- I've called generational abdication. And I'll explain. Abdication, what do I mean by that? To abdicate is to fail to fulfill your responsibility or task or duty. And I believe God has given his people a generational responsibility and mandate. And what do I mean by that? A mandate is, is what have I said yet, is an official order or commission to do something. 
a mandate is an official order or commission to do something. And I, I truly believe through scripture that God has given his people, you and I, a generational mandate to disciple the next generation. It's an official commission that God puts on his people and says, I want you to tell the coming generation who I am and what I've done so that they would set their hope in me. Not forget my works and obey my commandments. And we, Deuteronomy chapter six, from verse six onwards, God's word says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Verse 10, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, Pick it up in verse 12. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And in Judges, we see how the Israelites went with this generational mandate. Judges chapter 2 from verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. The next generation didn't know God and didn't know all about God and all that God had done for their people. And as a result, they became accustomed and attracted and adopted. And ultimately, there was a generation who abandoned God. And the point I want to make this morning is that the Israelites failed to disciple the next generation. And so by default... The Canaanites did. And as a church, you and I have been given this generational mandate to disciple the next generation. And if we don't disciple our young people, the culture around us will. If we don't disciple our young people, the culture around us will. Psalm 78, from verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob or Israel and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they would set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And my encouragement to us, church, is that we cannot abdicate our responsibility to disciple and raise our children and the next generation to know God, to love God, to serve God, to set their hope in him, and to serve his purposes, not just for their life, but God's purposes for this world. We cannot abdicate that. And, and, and can I please clarify? Let me read one more scripture. Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so I'll just quickly speak to the fathers. We have a job to do. And I say we now because I've been a dad for nine months, nine and a half months. But we have a job to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But it's not just the father thing. Parents, the primary responsibility for the discipleship of your children lands on you. Not the church, not the leaders, not the children's ministry or the youth. The way I like to think of it is, well, scripturally, God puts the responsibility on parents. And it's your duty to feed and nourish and lead and disciple and care for. And when they come to Revive on Fridays or they go to City Lights on a Sunday morning, the church is providing additional protein and additional supplements and a few extra vitamin C's here and there. But it's your responsibility to provide the nutritious, well-balanced diet. Please don't abdicate your responsibility, your God-given responsibility as parents because the church has incredible ministries and programs that do a phenomenal job with your young people. They're supplementing what hopefully you and I are doing with our children. But it's not just a parent's thing. It's not just a blood family thing. Can I encourage all of us as God's people in this room and those who call Melbourne Life Church home? It takes a village to raise a child. And so whether you have children or, or not, whether you're a parent or not, we all have a role to play in discipling the next generation. Research shows that there needs to be at least five key voices in the life of a child for them to believe something and walk in it. So church, it's our mandate. And so have you personally abdicated this generational mandate? Because like I said, if we do not dis disciple our young people, the culture around us will. John Wesley once said, what one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. And so in the context of cultural compromise, what modern day cultural idols am I or are you tolerating that the next generation will embrace? Because we're in a battle. We're in a battle with culture. We really are. And if we surrender, the future generations will suffer. So we as the church cannot surrender in this battle. And I'm not even going to mention some of the battles. I think as you sit there, you'll know. We're in a battle. We cannot surrender. Because we're not just fighting for ourselves, but we're fighting for future generations. Because we've been given a generational mandate. And then, I mean, we're all here today, so that's a good thing. But just before I get to my third point, I just have to say this particularly around Sunday service participation, not just a, a participation in gathered worship of God's people. What we find optional, our children will find unnecessary. So I know we all here, so that's good, but maybe there's friends or family that have been neglecting the gathering of the saints. Please encourage them. What they find optional, their children will find unnecessary. Caution number three, gospel amnesia. Amnesia refers to the loss of memories, including facts, information, and experiences. 
It's the loss of memory. And I'm obviously referring to spiritual amnesia, and, and, and I understand physically that that's a reality for some and it's tragic, but, but in the context of spiritual gospel amnesia, this is a challenge for us as God's people. We see in Judges chapter three, from verse seven, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. We hear that again. They forgot the Lord. They, let me say that. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Israel failed to remember that it was God who saved them out of bondage and slavery and had given them an undeserved inheritance. The Israelites forgot it was God. They forgot that it was God who defeated the pagan gods when he manifested his power through the 10 plagues. The Israelites forgot that it was God who sent the angel of death and at Passover rescued his people. The Israelites forgot that it was God who led them by a cloud in the day and a fire at night. The Israelites forgot that it was God, in fact, who parted the Red Sea and enabled his people to walk through and then used the same very Red Sea to destroy the charging Egyptian chariots. The Israelites forgot that it was God who stopped the raging flooded season Jordan River up at a town called Adam that enabled two or so million Israelites to walk across dry ground. The Israelites forgot that it was in fact God who enabled the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down so that the people could enter into the promised land. The Israelites forgot that it was God and because of their forgetfulness turned to the Baals, false fake gods. And there's a challenge for you and I as God's people today. We too can be forgetful. It was not the Baals or false idols that did any of that. But the Israelites forgot, and so they failed to live in the light of God's salvation and grace. And their forgetfulness led to their idolatry. And as God's people today, we too can live with gospel amnesia. We too can forget the sacrifice and the price that Christ paid. We too can forget what the blood of Jesus purchased for us. We too can forget who we are as sons and daughters in Christ. We too can forget that our lives do not belong to us anymore because we were bought with a price. We too can forget that we have been given this gospel mandate to go into all the world. We too can be a forgetful people, church. And my question is, have you, have I succumbed to gospel amnesia? Because the greatest challenge, and I'm closing, the greatest challenge to Christian faithfulness is forgetfulness. When we're forgetful, it's, it's almost impossible to be faithful to God. How can I protect myself against gospel amnesia? How can we protect ourselves against forgetfulness? My conviction is we need to regularly gather with the saints. Because as I gather with God's people and as I worship Him, in those moments, supernaturally, God is forming me and He's fashioning me and He's making me more like Himself. 
And we need to be in community. We need to be, in this context, discipleship groups. Why? Because it is so easy for us as God's people to drift. And who is gonna hold us accountable? Who is gonna protect us from drifting like we see in the book of Hebrews? We need personal times of prayer, personal times of worship, personal times of being in God's word, the riverbanks that enable our lives to, 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 to live in the flow of God's life rather than swampy marsh dead. We need to regularly partake in communion with the body of Christ, the gathered body of Christ. Why? Because it reminds us of our covenant with God. And my conviction is that communion is also covenant renewal. And so can I invite us to stand to our feet, please? I'd be lying if I said I didn't hope God's word confronted us and challenged us and, and encouraged us and strengthened us. And so if, we, if we're feeling confronted, then I say, thank you, Lord, that your God-breathed word has operated this morning by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, as we stand together as your people, we're so grateful that you call us into your family. Lord, as you begun that assignment through Abraham, you wanted a family. And Lord, I'm so grateful that we can be a part of your family through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you have called us to be kingdom priests and a holy nation, your treasured people. Lord, forgive us where we've allowed the culture around us to compromise us. Forgive us, Lord, where we've abdicated this generational mandate that you give. Forgive us, Lord, where we've become complacent and neglected to realize just how incredible your gospel is. And so as we stand before you, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would reveal by your Holy Spirit to each of us in this room, Lord, where we need to do business with you. I ask that no one, myself included, would leave here as we walked in. Lord, that, that we wouldn't submit our hearts and our lives to your word. I pray you protect us against arrogance, that you give us hearts of humility to recognize, Lord, we need your grace. We don't wanna be opposed by you. Humble us, Lord, that we would make adjustments, not because of what came out my mouth, but because what comes from your word. We need to adjust our lives to this. So please help us. Even as we stand here before you right now, we thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus, we can approach your throne room with, of grace with confidence because of our great high priest. And so this morning, Lord, we've already approached your throne. We've already drawn near to your presence. And we thank you, your word says you draw near to us. So even as we stand, Lord, we wanna respond. We respond even now, Lord. As individual members of this body, Lord, personally, we respond to you right now. Holy Spirit, reveal, convict, show us. Show us what modern day cultural idols we've compromised with. 
hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.